Latvia Weekly, your independent guide to the news in Latvia, with your hosts Otto Tabuns and Joe Horgan. and welcome to episode number 121 of the Latvia Weekly podcast. I am Joe Horgan, one of your hosts here in Yelgava, joined by Otto Tabuns, uh, who is over in Riga tonight. So, Otto, how are you right now? Hello, Joe. It is uh, great to speak with you again. Thank you for the great interview that we did just recently, and I'm glad to be back on our regular episode. Definitely. I'm very, very glad to be back, actually, because uh, although we are called Latvia Weekly, it's actually been about two weeks since we have done a uh, normal news episode, and that is because of a number of reasons, one of which was that I actually did some uh, frontline reporting, I guess you can say. So last Wednesday was a record. There were more than 8,000 people vaccinated here in Latvia. I was one of them. So I did get the AstraZeneca vaccine, which has been uh, very much talked about. Uh, you know, there's been all kinds of things we've heard about them in terms of side effects. Um, I was one of um, actually three of uh <clears throat> It was me and two of my other colleagues I know who, who got the vaccine on the same day. Uh, they were very lucky. They did not suffer any side effects whatsoever. I was not so lucky. I had a temperature of about uh, 39 degrees Celsius, which was, um, I think, in Fahrenheit, uh, something like 101 and a half or something like that. Um, so I, I, had, I had a little bit of a rough night. But, um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, it was just kind of a little bit of a you know fever. I had some headache and then you know, within within a day of just kind of drinking a lot of water and everything, I was I was totally fine. And and now I'm very lucky to uh, have been vaccinated now against COVID. And I strongly suggest all of you um, do that as well, because, you know, even if you do suffer some of the side effects that I did, uh, you know, it's, it's not pleasant, but neither is getting COVID, neither is accidentally spreading it to somebody that, uh, you know, is doesn't have as good of an immune system as you and, and, you know, uh, I've, I've had some friends who've had who've had COVID. They've had varying um, experiences. I've had some who, you know, uh, had to go to the hospital who were who were on, uh, you know, respirators. I've had friends who didn't have to go to the hospital but felt like you know they needed a respirator. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I've also had family members who have passed away, as, as I'm sure some of you have have as well. Uh, so you know, it's. Unfortunately, here in Latvia, uh, as our uh, top epidemiologist, uh, Uri Dumpas, says the situation is solidly bad. That is the English translation of what he said. Uh, it's, it's a solidly bad situation. Um, Otto, do you, do you agree with this uh, <laughs> analysis of the, of the situation here in Latvia? Do you, feel, do you feel that it is solidly bad, or do you think that it is... Um, you know, uh, getting a little bit better? What, 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 what's, what's your kind of just take on the overall situation here? Well, probably if no, if we take all, all in all, uh, then uh, probably the situation is not as bad in uh, some uh, other countries uh, which have been affected uh, in a much more worse way than Latvia has. At the same time, uh, there are indeed uh, not many things that we could be happy about if we talk about uh, the development of the statistics associated uh, with the pandemic uh, as well as the uh, public response, both in terms of the different uh, fears and misperceptions associated with the vaccine as well as the vaccination rate and the organization of this process, uh, which has a number of failures and many of them have not been resolved yet. Yes, unfortunately, um, yeah, I think I think you I think you put it perfectly um, that uh, 
you know, we um, we still have a long way to go in a lot of ways. Uh, but uh, a couple a couple statistics I can kind of throw out at you. So as of now, okay, so this is as of um, this week, apparently we are above 150,000 people who have been uh, vaccinated, which is uh, good because um, so we, we finally have more people vaccinated here in Latvia than, than we've had coronavirus cases altogether. So, so the, you know, th- that, that is something, I guess, to celebrate, at least coronavirus cases that we know about, because, you know, there was that study that we talked about a couple of uh, weeks back where it seems like around 11% of people have COVID antibodies. Uh, so obviously, you know, the, the amount of cases is much higher than 108,000 altogether. Um, pretty well. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk over whether or not uh, the government has made the right decisions, whether or not their process has been correct. Uh, there's been lots of criticism in terms of, you know, the specific restrictions that they've put into effect, whether or not they're actually effective, whether or not they're consistent, whether or not they make any sense whatsoever. And uh, the opposition is taking advantage of this situation, of course, as, you know, any uh, opposition would do. And when we're talking specifically about two major parties, uh, the uh, Union of Greens and Farmers and also Saskinia, um, or the Harmony Party, as it is uh, called usually in English-speaking media, and then also um, some independent deputies as well uh, who have been um, forming their own new party, specifically um, uh, Aldous Quobzems and, and a few others, who we will get to more in a second. But they have uh, set up a commission Okay, so this is an ad hoc commission uh, that uh, apparently is going to try to investigate uh, the decisions that the government has made and uh, and figure out kind of um, you know what 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 happened along the way and and uh, and have some accountability there. So, Otto, how, can you explain um, you know as somebody who knows how the uh, political system works much better than me? So, so what exactly kind of um, process? does you know does this look like and uh, what kind of power would this uh, commission have you know in in terms of uh in terms of holding the government accountable so uh, for such a commission uh to be established you would need uh, at least uh one third of the parliament uh, or more than 33 lawmakers uh to establish it and it seems that there have been um at least 36 who have signed the proposal, and so uh, such a um, commission that will investigate a particular question, specifically the government decision-making on COVID, and uh, this commission will have the right to uh, invite uh, and uh, listen to any person uh, with regard to uh, what uh, actions and decisions were uh, taken um, in regard uh, to the response uh, to the pandemic. And uh, I think that they will also be able to uh, not only uh, listen to the decision makers, but also um, audit uh, the specific actions, uh, look at the uh, decisions, documents, uh, the budget of uh, monies, uh, spend the um, contracts of procurement, uh, so that they would be uh, able to ascertain whether uh, the relevant decision makers or the government uh, have uh, acted uh, in accordance with law and uh, in accordance with uh, other standards of uh, the governance. And uh, one thing which I'm sure they'll be taking a close look at. So, so this is a uh, situation which has, uh, you know, been been dealt with. I guess you can say uh, one way or another. So, um, the state secretary to the Ministry of uh, Health. Uh, so this is uh, Dina Mulmane Umbrasco. So she has been, um, well, basically let go from, from her position. She's been demoted. Uh, this is specifically over the, 
I guess you can say vaccine crisis, you know, that that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks where not enough uh, vaccines were procured uh, when when they could have been. And the uh, so so the state secretary, um, from what I understand, Otto, and, and you can kind of explain this a little bit more. So they're um, basically the, the most powerful person, you know, in the ministry besides the minister themselves. Is that correct? They are uh, the the chief uh, administrators of the uh, ministry, and uh, they are um, in charge uh, of, of the uh, personnel and also of the uh, decision making and the mechanics of the specific uh, sector, uh, as uh, the ministries in the case of Latvia are the highest institutions uh, in their relevant. Uh, sectors and uh, if you would have a minister which comes uh, with the specific government and also goes with the specific government then uh, the state secretary is someone who stays uh, for a longer time and is approved by the government and uh, provides this continuity uh, between different governments and different ministers and uh, make sure uh, that the ministry is operating uh, whatever uh, the specific um, undulation of the political cycle is at the moment. And uh, so, again, the uh, specific controversy here is that, uh, you know, back in November, so there was a chance for Latvia to apply for um, around uh, 86,000 doses of um, the, uh, specifically this was the Pfizer vaccine, uh, but they decided to only purchase right around 100,000 of them. And then uh, a few weeks later, uh, when the, there was a possibility to buy up to uh, 430,000, then Latvia again applied for only around 100,000 uh, doses. And, and this is, you know, uh, had some serious, serious impact on the speed in which uh, the vaccination process has happened. And also, um, you know, we, we, we've, <laughs> we will talk a, a little bit more about the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine as well a little bit later. But, uh, you know, I can say uh, that that I uh, you know whether or not the press is deserved whether or not the uh, public relations disaster that's have uh, that has unfolded uh, you know is is only that uh, I can anecdotally say that I know many many people um, you know colleagues friends who uh, refuse to take specifically the AstraZeneca virus uh, vaccine sorry and they are um, you know waiting for uh, for you know, Pfizer or the other vaccines. Um, you know, it, it's as my grandfather would always say, uh, you know, it's never good to put all of your eggs in one basket. And that seemed to be the case here. Um, so, Otto, do you think that this was the uh, correct decision to uh, to demote the state secretary? And, um, you know, I, 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 can you kind of comment on the situation in general? Uh, I think that uh, there is certainly the responsibility of state secretary, who is the chief administrator of uh, the department or of the ministry. And it was quite outrageous to see that uh, some of these uh, decision-making uh, has uh, taken place in such an uh, informal manner, uh, especially remembering uh, that we are a, a civil law country and that all actions, especially those of public service, would require a, a document trail and uh, a specific way of how decisions are uh, formatted and uh, approved so that in case uh, that something goes wrong, uh, it's possible to follow uh, the decisions and follow the money. And in this case, uh, you had instances where uh, the Minister of uh, Health uh, consulted with uh, the informally um, appointed uh, expert of this uh, decision-making group uh, via a WhatsApp, and that was the practically only written way how these decisions were taken. As a result, there was 
either uh, deliberate or um, just an uh, or not um, oversight uh, and uh, that there was a problem with uh, the results of their work and uh, we saw that the Minister of Health uh, was let go and now the State Secretary uh, has been demoted but I think this will uh, be a continuing problem for the current Minister of Health because on the one hand you have the administrative responsibility, on the other hand um, it is also the responsibility of the minister and it seems that the current minister has not yet resolved the problems that uh, were indicated under the um, oversight of the previous one. The state secretary is not the only one um, who people feel should lose their jobs. So there is another no confidence motion that is uh, in the works right now uh, against the prime minister Christianis Karinc. Uh, this is spearheaded by Aldous Kuobzems, who we have talked about many, many times on the show. So he uh, formerly was the um, uh, prime minister candidate for the KPVLV party. Um, he is no longer in that party. He has formed a new party, the Likums and Kartiba, or Law and Order Party. And uh, so he has apparently uh, gotten uh, enough signatures. So apparently there's 10 uh, signatures uh, from, from Saima that are required to... Uh, to um, uh, move a motion of no confidence forward. Uh, do you see this going anywhere, Otto, um, uh, motion of no confidence against the Prime Minister at this point? Um, but not really, especially that uh, this is not something that has been brought about by uh, members of the coalition. So I, I hardly see an opportunity here uh, to uh, get a majority uh, on this. Uh, but uh, the, the timing uh, is... Uh, are not uh, taken out of the blue. Uh, I think it is associated both with the establishment of the new party by Mr. Gobzems, uh, and uh, this is a great way how to keep your surname in the news. Uh, at the same time, I think it is also associated with the uh, municipal uh, election which is approaching, and uh, certainly also the members of the coalition and the parties represented at the coalition will also be running at uh, this election. and. Um, any uh, criticism together with some positive thoughts with regard to the government and their constituent members can easily be then attributed uh, to the candidates uh, from the respective parties in the municipal election. What a mess that's going to be, uh, you know, this municipal <laughs> election, because, you know, I can't imagine, you know, for example, you know, Vinotiba, uh, you know, Yakape and, and uh, you know, Par and even Atistiba, you know, who aren't running together in, in you know, in most places. Uh, you know, I mean, they're all on this coalition together. They're all in this, uh, you know, cabinet of ministers, you know, making these decisions together. But uh, I think it's going to get pretty nasty in terms of, uh, you know, whose fault it is. And, uh, you know, I, I think, um, <laughs> you know, the Union of Greens and Farmers can can think, uh, you know, that they're, they're, they're going to have a very nice uh, Christmas card for uh, Giannis Bordons this year for... Uh, his um, <laughs> refusal back in 2018 to allow them onto the uh, onto the government. I think that that was, um, you know, probably the uh, <laughs> the luckiest break that uh, the Union of Greens and Farmers have ever had. So, okay. um, well, we will uh, keep you updated if if anything comes out of that uh, motion. But one thing that uh, all of you who are in Latvia know is that uh, big 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 change that happened last week is that smaller stores are finally. Open. This is since the seventh of April. Uh, Otto, have you done any shopping? Any any shopping that you haven't done uh, for for a while in any of these stores? And if so, how has it gone? Uh, 
So uh, I have done uh, some shopping, uh, rather limited, I have to say, but I also have had the opportunity um, to uh, travel um, at least uh, via Riga uh, and see um, the different uh, districts and neighborhoods, uh, the queues that uh, have been forming out of these uh, uh, smaller stores, uh, and that is something that uh, really is not something that we are used to, at least in the last 30 years. Uh, but um, that is one of this uh, one of the results of this change, uh, where these small shops are open at the same time due to their small size. They're usually limited to one or a few customers at a time, uh, and so you could see, uh, at least in the capital city, um, a number of people uh, queuing for uh, shops. Uh, for example, I saw uh, some uh, parents with uh, children queuing at some. Uh, closed stores, um, especially that um, it was at times difficult to get uh, these items so when all of the shops or most of the shops were closed and then now it is relaxed so um, people are uh, trying to uh, take care of that and, and you can really see it on the streets. Yeah, and, and um, so that was last week's kind of big news. Uh, this week's big news, and uh, for me, this is tomorrow. So we're recording this tonight. It's a uh, Tuesday, uh, you know, getting close to around 10 o'clock at night. Uh, tomorrow, I am meeting my 12th graders in person for the first time since October. And, I, and I'm actually, to be honest, I'm kind of nervous because this is actually the longest I have gone, you know, without in-person teaching since you know, I, like I, I was thinking back since like September of 2012, because you know I've I've just been teaching straight, you know, since I uh, got out of college, and um, I uh, you know haven't gone this long without without actually teaching somebody in person. So you know I'm kind of nervous about it, honestly. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not nervous. I'm going to get uh, COVID. I'm just nervous that I. <laughs> you know, just, just I'm not used to it. I'm so used to, you know, online teaching now. So, um, but, uh, yeah, 12th graders have been allowed back to school, uh, specifically for subjects in which they have an exam. So, uh, that air, um, that, that is, uh, usually English or, um, you know, that, that's the second language for, for most people, or sorry, the first foreign language for most people, for, for others, it, it's, uh, it could also be Russian as well. Um, and then also the, there are obligatory, um, uh, exams in, in math and Latvian language as well. Uh, so I have um, two groups of 12th graders, so I have eight lessons altogether tomorrow, so you guys can uh, wish me luck on that. And and the way it's working, at least at our school, I can't comment on every school, but I think it's pretty similar from what I've heard from, from colleagues in different places are that uh, you know students have to take a uh, COVID test, uh, you know, in the days before the lesson, so they they have to take a weekly COVID test, and then obviously, uh, you know, if there's a positive case, then you know things get uh, shut down until until there's more testing, and uh, you know there are going to be you know regular uh, breaks to air out the rooms, and you know students from different classes aren't able to uh, contact each other, so so it's a little bit like the situation we had uh, back in the fall. But uh, Otto, I, I want to ask you, so it's it's getting. Um, you know, it's it's going to become a uh, thornier and thornier and thornier issue because on one hand, you know, we don't really see cases going down significantly. And if we look to the rest of Europe, I mean, especially Germany right now, we see cases going up again. We see, we see cases going up in a number of places throughout the world. And although, you know, the number of cases here in Latvia has somewhat uh, kind of stabilized, you know, over the last... Uh, over the last month or so, you know, it hasn't really, um, you know, gone down as much as you'd hope it would. I mean, certainly there's been more testing than than, than before, uh, and, and the cases have stayed around the same. So that, that's a positive sign. Um, but, 
you know, the, the big debate is whether or not this is the right time to kind of reopen things, both the stores and the schools. And I want to get your take. I mean, do you, do you think that this is too early? Do you think this is too late? Or do you think that this is, uh, you know, the right, the right course of action to take right now? Um, for the stores, perhaps uh, it is the right decision, as uh, it is possible to operate stores uh, with taking into account uh, the restrictions that are necessary, such as uh, requiring the, um, the customers uh, to have the uh, shopping uh, carts uh, so that, uh, that the amount of customers be limited, but also that you would have distance between um, the, the customers, and also um, many of, of them are also wary of um, uh, avoiding this closeness uh, with other people. Uh, in the smaller shops, it is uh, even easier to deal with, uh, especially if you have one or a few customers in in the store uh, at the same time, uh, because uh, there are uh, a number of items and goods that uh, people need, and it is also the matter of uh, employment and uh, the matter of uh, at times uh, survival of some of these businesses and uh, the the families and the people who depend on it. Well, if we talk about schools, then perhaps the situation is a little bit more complex because there probably it is uh, more difficult uh, to uh, actually operate uh, with all the restrictions in place, um, uh, perhaps a bit uh, easier for the uh, senior classes, but certainly much more uh, difficult uh, with the uh, junior uh, students. Uh, so if the statistics is really solidly bad, as uh, Professor Dompis has told, then uh, it may not be uh, too bad of an idea to actually keep uh, the remainder of uh, this academic year uh, in distance learning and wait until September because uh, it is already April and, and uh, perhaps it could be an epidemiologically uh, sane solution uh, not to take the risk, uh, especially when you would not have uh, either a mass vaccination of uh, teachers or um, enough uh, of approved vaccines uh, for uh, the uh, younger children. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of teachers, so teachers are actually beginning to get vaccinated as of this week. So the reason why I was vaccinated last week is not because of it, uh, being a teacher. It's because I have a, um, a heart condition uh, that qualified me to get the vaccination a little bit earlier. But teachers have actually... Um, uh, gone kind of up the list a little bit now, specifically at the request of uh, of the health minister and and also the um, um, Ministry of Education. So just kind of anecdotally, I can say there's a lot of nervousness about the vaccine, specifically the AstraZeneca one. And, uh, you know, a lot of my colleagues, you know, have been kind of, uh, you know, asking me specifically, so how was it for you? How was it for you? How was it for you? And, uh, you know, I kind of feel bad saying that, well, it wasn't wasn't great because, you know, I, I do want to encourage people uh, to get the vaccine. So I try to focus on the positive side. But, uh, you know, for people who are already kind of nervous, you know, to, to, to hear that I had a you know temperature and everything, it definitely uh, d doesn't exactly help, unfortunately. Um, but the um, uh, Pfizer vaccines, so, so more Pfizer vaccines have uh, arrived now and... Uh, you know, I, I know that um, I do have some colleagues who, who said that they want the vaccine, just not the AstraZeneca one. So um, uh, there is a uh, another dose, uh, sorry, another another batch of uh, the Pfizer vaccine that are coming and, and hopefully uh, more and, and not just these two will be coming as uh, as well. So um, I don't know, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's very, very tricky. It's very, very emotional. Um, you know, I, I don't know what kind of discussions, you know, you, you've, you've had with uh you know, friends or family or colleagues, but I mean, you know, every everyone's nerves are kind of frayed about this issue right now. 
Um, so, you know, what do you think, Otto? Do you, is it going to become harder to convince people uh, to get the vaccine in, in the near future? Uh, I think that uh, those who have already made their minds, especially those who want to get the vaccine, I think uh, their decision will stay that way. Uh, I know that from the experience with my mom, who also was uh, administered the vaccine uh, two weeks ago, and uh, she's a, a professional medic, uh, and uh, she also read more about all the things that you have to know, uh, and she took an informed decision to have the vaccine, and her uh, uh, um, uh, state of health right after getting the vaccine was only uh, slightly changed, so she felt uh, slightly uh, drowsy and there was less energy than usual, but uh, she got through uh, slightly uh, better than uh, you did, Joe, so <laughs> she didn't have the temperature or uh, these uh, side effects. Um, and I think this is one of the problems that the government would have to uh, react to, that there are many people who want to get the vaccine, uh, but perhaps would not qualify yet uh, because of the currently uh, um, uh, uh, valid uh, priority uh, groups. Uh, so perhaps there should be uh, more uh, proactivity from the side of the government uh, to vaccinate those people who want to get it, even if uh, they are not in the currently uh, set uh, priority groups, because probably there are some of those people who may be in those groups, but they do not want to get vaccinated, and that is just something that uh, we will have to deal with. Uh, especially if we are dealing with uh, private persons uh, who are uh, not uh, dealing in professions or sectors uh, that involve um, a lot of people-to-people uh, -people contact. And that is just something that we will have to accept. Uh, at the same time, uh, there is this gap between those who would want to get the vaccine, and at the same time, you would have a number of vaccines that are not being administered because the priority groups are not going through as fast as the government has intended to. So I think we will have to respect all of these different approaches, uh, but the government has to change it. Yeah, you know, and, and one thing I think that's very kind of unclear right now is kind of what the overall strategy, and, and this isn't just Latvia, you know, th this is globally, you know, wh what is the actual strategy for managing the virus? Because, you know, on, on one hand, uh, you know, we've heard a lot uh, all over the world about, you know, this South Africa strain, the British strain, uh, you know, these, um, these strains that uh, are not... Uh, you know, the vaccine is not effective uh, against, you know, specifically the AstraZeneca vaccine, um, you know, has not been found to be effective pretty much at all, you know, from, from stopping the, uh, somebody from catching the uh, the South African variant uh, and, you know, is less effective against the British uh, variant. But again, um, from, from what the preliminary data shows, uh, it seems like that uh, the vaccine has at least been effective at not, you know, sending these people to the hospital and, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and not dying from COVID at least. So, you know, again, the question is, can only, you know, what, what exactly is the end game, uh, you know, with this pandemic situation? Because, you know, it would be great if, you know, we could, uh, you know, have a smallpox uh, complete eradication of COVID. Um, but, uh, you know, smallpox is definitely the uh, exception, you know, rather than the rule in terms of, you know, how, how vaccination goes and how long it takes to eradicate a virus. So, you know, is our goal just to get all of the most critically, you know, um, you know, important people vaccinated who, who need the vaccine and then, um, you know, slowly, slowly kind of reopen things and, you know, at, at least uh, have protection against, you know, um, getting, uh, you know, the most severe side effects of the vaccine and, you know, overcrowding the hospitals. I mean, 
you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, Otto, I mean, do, do you, do you feel like there's really a kind of any, you know, vision in terms of uh, in, any kind of like collective vision, you know, like either here, you know, in terms of the Latvian government or, or the EU government of, of how, of how this is going to kind of resolve in, in the end? I think that we still have uh, several uh, visions uh, and there is indeed uh, a lot of thinking behind each of them. Uh, but of course, if you would have uh, a number of uh, different uh, blocks uh, representing different visions, then it is quite difficult to operate, should it be the national or the uh, European level. Uh, perhaps uh, some um, elements of the political cycle will uh, make the government uh, and the parties in it uh, to try to unite uh, around one uh, set of objectives uh, rather than uh, try to push uh, other uh, ideas because it was um, a bit uh, difficult to see, for example, uh, some of the ongoing um, the criticism between some of the parties, for example, between the Minister of uh, Economics and the Minister of uh, Transport, uh, then also uh, between the Prime Minister and the Minister of Health. Uh, well, of course it is difficult and it also has implications for party politics and uh, the, the uh, political future of all those involved, but at the same time, uh, I think that the, the severity of the situation should be uh, important enough so that they are able to focus on the bigger picture. Yeah, well, we'll have to take a look. Um, you know, uh, you know, in in the coming weeks, and and uh, kind of keep a closer eye on this. But but one thing, uh, you know, which was interesting to me. So, uh, Christianus Karnes again, the prime minister. You know, he uh, announced that uh, we already have to start thinking about booster vaccines. So at least you know there's some kind of long term uh, thinking there. You know, th- th- this was last week when he was on. Um, uh, I believe it was. Uh, one one of the uh, morning shows when he when he was talking about this, but uh, he uh, he mentioned that uh, we already have to start planning the uh, the booster vaccines. So you know already we can see all around the world um, there are uh, you know more vaccines, more modern vaccines uh, being being planned against some of the the new variants. And you know it's it's kind of a situation similar to uh, to the flu because every year there's a different flu vaccine because there's different strains which are more prevalent or less prevalent and and it's difficult to predict it and one of the reasons why the you know 2009 swine flu was uh was so kind of severe was because that variant uh you know kind of popped up after the uh, the flu vaccine had already been been manufactured and and uh, wasn't possible to get um to get uh, protection against that but but Otto actually made a really good point earlier um Otto and maybe you can repeat this again about uh about flu cases in in the hospital so i think uh we have seen one of the uh, very good side effects of uh, people uh wearing masks uh most of the time or most people wearing masks uh more than uh, previously because uh i think that in this season uh, uh during the flu uh, epidemic we have not had uh um one a clinical case uh, in the sense that uh, none of the flu cases that have been um, in this uh, flu season have uh, necessitated the uh, inpatient treatment of anyone and I think that it is partially explained by the fact that people are wearing uh, masks and uh, one thing is the effect that they do in preventing uh, COVID but they also prevent um, people from getting other uh, respiratory diseases uh, or alle- alleviate uh, some of the stuff that is in the air that we have to breathe. 
Yeah, you know, and you know, it's interesting. My, my dad and I talk about this all the time about you know what's the world going to look like after this you know resolves, and you know, I, I think this this could be one thing that uh, you know might stay in in the winters that people just wear you know masks in in the shop, for example, because uh, you know people from China, you know, people from um, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of um, uh, you know Far East countries have done this uh, for for a while, and you know, I remember you know like I would sometimes see uh, you know people you know who are who are visiting. Uh, or, or who have, um, you know, moved to Latvia, for example, you know, w- wearing these masks and thinking like, oh, you know, like, well, well what are they doing that for? Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, it makes sense. You know, there, there's, a, there's a reason they're doing that. And, and uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, that could also be maybe one of the reasons why, um, you know, the some of the Far East countries have done a little bit solider job um, handling, handling the pandemic. Um, but, uh, you know, that's just speculation on my part. But uh, yeah, a um, couple quick more COVID stories before we can finally move on to some other uh, much less uh, COVID issues. Um, one is that, uh, you know, this has kind of been an ongoing um, uh, theme over the last two weeks. This is of counterfeit or fake uh, COVID tests. And uh, apparently border guards, um, as of uh, today, have caught around 22 people with these uh, invalid COVID tests, uh, you know, these, they're either uh, fake COVID tests or, um, you know, they, they, they use somebody else's, uh, you know, uh, samples. You know, it's, it, that's, um, you know, on, on one hand, it's not surprising to me, Otto, because, you know, there, there, there's always ways to, uh, you know, game the system. And, you know, I'm sure you've been reading too as well about, uh, you know, people selling fake COVID tests, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, you, you, you can get a fake COVID test from somebody and, you know, but but it's just, uh, I don't know, it's hard to wrap my mind around that, you know, you, you think that you're that important that you're willing to, you know, spread COVID and, and get a fake test. And I mean, uh, I don't know, what's your comment on this, Otto? Because I'm, I'm speechless. Well, certainly that is something quite negative and hopefully that uh, border guard will be uh, in uh, effective in uh, uh, checking that because uh, at least uh, if we look at those uh, passes that people had to have when traveling by airplanes, then it was all electronical. So it wasn't like a, a, a paper that uh, you could uh, fake the stamp on or uh, do something else to tamper with it. So hopefully that the electronic systems or uh, some uh, databases uh, were uh, this is all registered, are good enough so that it would not be possible uh, to uh, work around those systems. H- had you been waiting all day to use that uh, negative pun that, that that's very negative, the, the, the fake COVID <laughs> tests are negative? Uh, exactly, wish... you know. I, I could uh, use a number of other words, but you know, I think oh, we are still a family-friendly show, so let's try yeah. to keep it that way. Well, I, I, I appreciate the dad, the you know, the the dad joke there but um you know we, we we do we do have to keep things light a little bit you know even even when it comes to covid because otherwise you know you can either you can either laugh or you can cry so you know we, we might we might as well uh you know laugh a little bit as well um but one issue that is no laughing matter though this is the last uh covid story i promise for today um is that uh, apparently covid has been detected in uh some uh, mink who have uh, died on a farm um and uh you know i, I guess this is, um, you know, not not a huge surprise because you know COVID has, uh, you know, obviously, well, it transferred from animals to humans. It seems like originally, at least, that's the, uh, you know, current um, understanding of, of of where of where COVID came from. Um, but uh, but definitely, um, 
you know, something to, to keep an eye on that I'm sure, you know, uh, different, um, you know, researchers are going to keep an eye on is, is how exactly, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, tr- transferring from, from humans to animals and, you know, whether this is something to be concerned about. But, but it seems like as of now, uh, no, no, major, no major concern right now. So uh, any last uh, COVID thoughts, either on this story or, or anything else? Or can we please move on? Let's do that, please. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, now, something that Otto and I are very happy to talk about. This is this is our uh, bread and butter. This is the reason why we started the show in the first mm-hmm. place is because we have a election coming up on the 5th of June. So these are for municipal governments, not... Riga, okay, so so these are all the municipalities aside from Riga, Riga. so Otto, this time, you can sit back with a popcorn with your, uh, you know, already elected government over in Riga and, and watch the fireworks out here in Yelgava and in other places throughout the country. Um, so uh, apparently, uh, this was back on uh, April 7th, all of the uh, candidate lists have been uh, submitted. So so there was 324 candidate lists altogether, and 500, uh, sorry, 5,599 candidates. So they couldn't find just one more to get up to 5,600, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, And there are going to be 41 uh, municipal councils now after the um, after the territorial reforms, or I guess probably 42, including Riga. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there are going to be 683 spots. And we are going to talk about all 5,599 candidates, right, Otto? <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, but, but I think but that, we... that, that, would, that would then make uh, the number of our episodes closer to that first number. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but we will, we will uh, do an episode about these elections coming up, uh, you know, probably sometime towards the end of May. So we will probably uh, focus on, you know, the, the biggest cities and then also maybe a few other municipalities where there could be some interesting results. But it's going to be a very important election, you know, not just because of the current situation, right now uh you know very very unstable political situation um you know with the with the handling of the pandemic but also because uh you know as soon as these elections are over that's when we're going to have our new uh, municipalities now so that this is basically the uh, kind of i don't want to say end result of uh of municipal territorial reform but this is kind of the big step forward um and and uh, you know we're going to have um less municipal governments and uh, we will see whether or not the uh, reforms, which uh, you know have been worked on over the last couple of years, are are going to uh, you know have positive results. So, um, any comments you want to make on the election right now, Otto, or, or uh, you know, should we? Um, yeah, I think that it, it will become a bigger and bigger uh, topic in the, the the future shows, and probably will will dominate the headlines uh, as we uh, approach the summer for sure. Yes. I can say though that neither Otto and I are one of those five thousand five hundred ninety nine candidates. We we are we're not participating in the fun. Um so, no. so we are we are totally <laughs> totally neutral. Um so anyway, um another uh very uh kind of interesting story which uh, I actually didn't hear a lot about this this weekend. You know, normally if we didn't have something like COVID, um this would be one of the kind of biggest uh big biggest stories and and you know that this would be grabbing all the headlines but right now you know COVID is kind of on everyone's mind right now but there was a pretty uh significant constitutional court decision back on the 9th of april 
uh, and Otto, can you kind of take us through uh, what the decision was and what the implications are? Uh, certainly. Uh, so on April the 9th, uh, the Constitutional Court uh, ruled on uh, the matter of uh, state fees for inheritance of the estate. And uh, it uh, decided that uh, this uh, different treatment of uh, the couples who are in a marriage and other couples is unconstitutional. Uh, as a result, uh, for example, uh, the same-sex family partner uh, will uh, not uh, have to pay a higher estate fee anymore uh, for inheritance of the estate of their uh, deceased uh, partner than uh, that of a uh, 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 marriage uh, would. Uh, so I think this is an um, important uh, continuation of uh, the, the clarity that was uh, brought about uh, on the constitutional definition of family that we have in Latvia under the Satversme or the Constitution. And um, already uh, the Ombudsman uh, was raising this uh, point uh, that uh, uh, in the Constitution uh, you have uh, the state protection for families and it does not specify uh, what some would call the traditional um, uh, the families where you would have uh, the marriage between uh, two partners of uh, separate uh, um, uh, sex. Uh, so uh, in this case uh, it is a significant uh, step uh, both uh, for all um, uh, couples who are not in a marriage, uh, but also specifically uh, to the same-sex partners uh, who used to have uh, bigger uh, administrative uh, constraints and expenses than um, uh, other uh, couples who were protected by the state. Yeah, and apparently, uh, at least according to the article I read on uh, the English version of LSM, Latvian Public Media, so apparently the, the fee was 60 times higher, which... Uh... That is uh, significant, certainly. Uh, you know, that's that's an understatement, I think. So, um, what do you think, Otto? Is this going to become an election issue in, uh, you know, both? Uh, you know, we can start with municipal elections coming up uh, in June, but then also uh, next year's national elections. Do you think that this issue of um, of defining family is going to become uh, a hot button issue that uh, that's going to um, kind of dominate the debates? Uh, I think that certainly uh, I could imagine uh, Mr. Schlesser uh, to uh, bring this up uh, because if you remember uh, he was the one who uh, spearheaded uh, the change, uh, the amendments of the constitution uh, that uh, defined uh, marriage as solely between a man and a woman. So um, if he continues with this stance then uh, I could expect uh, a follow-up uh, to uh, the policy that he has uh, followed uh, previously. Uh, this could also be raised by um, other uh, political forces that have been labeled populist. Uh, for example, people associated uh, formerly um, with the KPW party uh, could also raise this point because uh, some of their members have uh, come up with proposals that matters like these, uh, such as uh, the, mm, the clarification of the rights of the same-sex families that would be something that should be decided uh, by a referendum. Uh, so, uh, and it could certainly also be a point uh, for the uh, uh, new Conservative Party, uh, if uh, not exactly uh, going as far as would Mr. Schlesser or someone else who would think like him, but perhaps uh, trying to prevent uh, this from uh, going further uh, in the direction that it is going. 
Yeah, I, I have a bad feeling it's going to get, uh, you know, pretty, pretty ugly as well and, and, and emotional, especially if it does go to something like a referendum. Um, you know, it, we're, 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 we're going to see uh, emotions uh, kind of boil, boil over on this one, I think. So we will uh, we will keep a keep an eye on it. But um, another hot button issue is the issue of languages here in Latvia. And as a reminder to uh, to people who have not been listening to the show uh, much before, might not know a whole lot about the language situation here in Latvia. Um, so there is just one official national language that is the Latvian language. That is the language that uh, you know generally. Um, is required for uh, most jobs, you know, at least some level of, uh, of Latvian is required, you know, even if you are, you know, just, um, uh, well, do, doing just about anything, uh, you know, some, some level of Latvian language is, is required. And, uh, you, you know, we've, we've seen some issues in the past uh, of uh, people losing their jobs because they didn't have the higher, high enough level of Latvian. And in this, you know, could we include mayors or also, the uh, the leaders of different universities. We, we we've we've talked about this uh, previously on um, you know previous episodes, but uh, we have an update to uh, kind of one um, story which we've been covering uh, for quite a while. This is the language of instruction at universities, and uh, generally, um, so so Latvian is the language that is required for. Uh, classes to be taught in in universities, uh, with some exceptions. You know, for example, my studies, uh, my master's studies were in English because I was studying specifically to become an English teacher. So, so that that has always kind of uh, been an exception. Um, but uh, so there there were some amendments um, to the situation with languages. And Otto, can you uh, explain kind of what the what the major change is? Uh, exactly. So um, uh, previously, uh, it was possible to. Uh, hold classes uh, or uh, programs in other uh, languages only if it has uh, been specifically uh, allowed by the law or by international treaties. And we have had uh, a couple of these cases. Uh, for example, uh, the, um, the institution of higher education that I am associated with, uh, Riga Graduate School of Law, is one of those because uh, this school was established under an international treaty between uh, Latvia and Sweden, and so it was established to provide um, international law education and do it in English, so it would prepare uh, international law specialists uh, for um, our country, uh, which uh, was on the track to get back uh, in the uh, democratic Western world. Um, now that uh, we are a member of the European Union uh, for a, a long time, and also uh, the export of higher education is also um, something which is important not only to the universities themselves uh, but also to the country uh, economically um, and in the terms of networking. Uh, it has been decided uh, to uh, uh, relax a little bit the national uh, language policy and uh, allow um, uh, additional classes to be held in other EU languages, meaning uh, other official languages of the European Union, uh, which are approximately uh, 23, if I remember correctly. And um, uh, the uh, universities uh, will have uh, the right to do so if they meet criteria uh, set out in the um, new law. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it is uh, limited uh, so that it would be only part of the study program that could be taught in other languages and it cannot include uh, final examinations uh, such as uh, the uh, degree defenses. 
and um, uh, it is also a result of a constitutional court decision uh, which uh, found that uh, the law that uh, previously uh, uh, demanded uh, all private universities and colleges uh, to hold classes only in the official language uh, that this uh, decision was uh, unconstitutional uh, so the government had to change it and it did with this law yeah and um, you know the, the the wrinkle here the very controversial part of this is that uh, so Russian is not an EU language so a lot of people see this as kind of a way to you know allow English or French or German or, or other languages you know countries that you know Latvia is a little bit uh, more friendly with to say the least you know uh, you know fellow um, EU members or you know NATO members for example um, and not allow uh, you know the, the courses to be taught in uh, in Russian which is you know the uh, you know a much more um, prevalent language to say the least here in Latvia. You know a language which um, you know is spoken at home by a significant uh, uh, you know proportion of the population. So do you think that also Otto, you know we've seen in you know all kinds of elections over the last you know two decades or three decades I guess you could even say that uh, the issue of language has been a hot button issue in elections uh, in the you know, most recent uh, elections, you know, it hasn't been quite as much of a big issue. But now that we, you know, have some of these uh, law changes, do you think that it could become a bigger issue again? Or, or is this just something that, uh, you know, people have moved on from, um, you know, in, in terms of such an emotional, uh, such an emotional issue? No, I think that uh, the matter of language will always be an emotional and a politically sensitive issue because that is the central element of uh, Latvian identity. You would have uh, Latvians uh, with a different background, with uh, several kinds of religions that they may choose uh, if they choose one at all or are born uh, with one in their family. Uh, or uh, there are also uh, mixed families and uh, you would have uh, various aspects of our identity that uh, slightly change. Also the regional aspects um, such as between uh, Kurzeme and uh, Latgale. And uh, one thing that is common for our identity, for different regions and our history, is the matter of a national language, the ability to speak in it, the ability to uh, obtain education in it, because there have been times under um, foreign powers so where uh, this was forbidden uh, all the way up to for, uh, this uh, prohibition of uh, printing uh, books uh, using the, the Latin alphabet. Uh, so I think it is uh, partially based on our historic experience, uh, but also uh, I think it is in line uh, with uh, our foreign policy uh, approach that you outlined, but also it is, um, I think, in line with the constitutional principle which has been included, uh, especially since the preamble was added uh, that uh, Latvia belongs to the European cultural space. And uh, if we talk in terms of the European Union, then uh, that, of course, uh, makes a sense. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it will, I, I think I agree. I think it will always be a, a controversial issue, but we'll see, you know, if that ends up being one of the big ones in, in this particular election. Um, I think it is time to uh, do some rapid fire because uh, we, we still have a few stories left and uh, we've already been, uh, you know, going a little bit over. So, uh, first of all, um, when you get the chance, you should definitely get up to Sigwalda and see the beautifully 
renewed castle, um, which is, uh, has been newly renovated apparently to look like it did in 1937, right before the war. Um, I took a look at some photos, which, which you can see, um, you know, on the castle's website and, and also a few other kind of media sources. It looks pretty, uh, fantastic. And I, I guess, you know, I, I did, um, I did visit, or at least the outside of Sequel to Castle, I think when I first came to Latvia in 2013, but, uh, but it looks, it looks pretty amazing, Otto. Uh, did you get a chance to look at those pictures? Uh, yes, I did, and I think uh, that is uh, wonderful because uh, usually uh, the attention in that part of Latvia is uh, taken by the Turaida castle, mm. uh, which is uh, the, the one in red brick and uh, easily visible, uh, especially if you visit um, that part of uh, our country in the autumn. Uh, at the same time, uh, people sometimes overlook uh, this Sigurd um, new uh, castle, uh, which uh, um, hosts, I understand, also uh, uh, municipal institutions and uh, has also something to offer, especially if we talk about the interior design and uh, the history that it also has with it, so that there is uh, much more than uh, one postcard image of uh, this very beautiful uh, city and uh, part of Vidzim. Yes, definitely. So um, definitely get get out to Sigoldo once you can do so uh, uh, safely and, and uh, check out the castle. Um, very sad story out of Leopold. This is kind of a shocking story, actually. So apparently a uh, tram driver was killed uh, on the job. So he was apparently stabbed to death by a passenger. And this was back on, uh, I believe, the 2nd of April. But uh, it does not seem like there has been any major updates to this story um, since them in terms of uh, if there's a motive, if, um, if, if anything really has been determined about, uh, about why this, uh, this, this tragedy happened. So um, definitely our condolences with, uh, you know, not only, um, you know, the driver's family, but also the people of Leopaya, because that, 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 is, that is very, very shocking. Uh, you know, it's very, very sad because, um, you know, we, we were just kind of celebrating the new trams that Leopaya got, and then, and then you, you know, have this, uh, this horrible situation. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully the, um, uh, you know, criminal process will be fair and, uh, and, uh, and swift, um, in, in terms of figuring out, you know, what, what went wrong there. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, they will take into account, uh, this, uh, when, uh, if necessary, re retrofitting, uh, these, uh, trams, uh, to provide for the safety of the drivers, uh, as it is done, for example, in Riga, where it is not possible to access the driver uh, for any re reason other than uh, with this small window uh, where you uh, pay the money for the ticket if you buy it uh, in the uh, bus or the tram itself. So hopefully they will take that into account to avoid uh, tragedies like these in future. Certainly. I mean, tra tram driver is not a job. <laughs> I would, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who, you know, do drive public transportation and, and, you know, the things that they have to, you know, put up with and, and see on a daily basis. So, you know, it's, it's good that we have people who, who are willing to do that. Um, one other uh, kind of interesting little story here. Uh, so apparently the uh, there's a new um, decision that's been made by SIMA. Um, and uh, so this is going to take effect on the 1st of May. Uh, so people who are um, in debt uh, to child support or, or alimony, um, so they, they are not uh, going to be allowed to take part in gambling anymore. And of course, 
you know, the, we're, we're only talking about above ground gambling because, you know, gambling is legal. Um, you know, it's restricted, obviously, but but it's, it's it is legal in Latvia. But people who um, have been have been blacklisted, uh, you know, who who uh, do owe money to child support or alimony, uh, are not going to be allowed to uh, to gamble anymore. And, and I don't know, Otto. I mean, this this is this is kind of interesting here. I mean, I, I want to see your take on this. Do you think that this is a uh, a measure that makes sense, or do you think this is a breach of privacy? Well, I think it uh, does make sense because uh, with all the rights that the people who want to gamble, uh, you know, uh, you also have uh, the right for the children to be fed, and that should not be, uh, you know, endangered by this. Uh, inconsiderate uh, actions by their parents, uh, especially if it is also the case that uh, these people are um, not paying uh, alimony and uh, then uh, the uh, government has to uh, pay in their place, which has been the system, um, so as to uh, take care of the uh, children uh, right away. So I think this is uh, the right decision because if uh, people have children, uh, that is their primary responsibility. They're and uh, I think the the government should be very strict uh, with them because, uh, well, you you cannot just uh, leave uh, the children and uh, let them uh, uh, be hurt because um, the parents inadequate. No, certainly, yeah. I mean, I I think I think that's a very uh, compelling argument. You know, I, I can imagine some people, you know, being worried about some kind of uh, you know slippery slope here, where it comes to you know well. You know, are, are we going to uh, you know stop people from from doing this or that? Uh, you know, if if they if they owe maybe not just alimony, but you know if they owe debt to a bank, for example. But you know, I, I think that you have to take all of these measures, you know, as they are. You know, not worry about like, well, what's this going to lead to? Is this going to lead to the next thing? Because I I, I completely agree with you, Otto. You know, I, I think that this is a is a pretty common sense uh, issue, and you know, with uh, with rights comes responsibilities as well. You know, so yes. so people uh, and uh, and it is interesting. You mentioned also the bank aspect. Uh, I have heard that there have been these uh, um, issues. For example, people who have wanted to take uh, a loan for for a new house, and like well, one of the partners in the family is uh, let's say playing online gambling, and that has been a reason for the bank not to give uh, a loan uh, to a family. So I think that there is already in terms of uh, the banking and the loan sector, there are enough of tools uh, for uh, the banks and other businesses to, to make sure that the person you're dealing with is not in debt and has not um, a debt problem. But if you're talking about children, then of course uh, it is a, a bit more difficult and at the same time more pressing uh, if we compare it, let's say, with the commercial debt. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one last uh, kind of story right here, which I think is going to be very relevant to a lot of listeners, uh, both people who live outside of Latvia and are interested in, you know, Latvia or, or people who, uh, you know, live in Latvia, you know, and, and come from other places. So the foreign ministry has uh, now come up with an e-registrar system to be able to um, uh, legalize documents online. And for what I understand, so that this is the, um, you know, international uh, you know, um, validation of, of documents, or for example, a postile is, is, is something that I had to do um, in the past with uh, with a lot of documents trying to come come to Latvia. So, um, you know, sound sounds good. But uh, you know, do do you think that um, <laughs> do, do 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 you think that this new new system is uh, is going to be a little bit more um, you know, successful, maybe than than some of the other e systems we've had over the last uh, over the last decade? I would expect it to be, because it should be less difficult than, for example, 
all the uh, security requirements uh, necessary when dealing with uh, health uh, data. Um, and I think that also uh, it involves uh, less institutions and less uh, people. So uh, hopefully this will also achieve the objective that uh, these matters are dealt with uh, faster and uh, so it is also easier to check all these uh, matters and it would also not require, let's say, uh, meeting with the relevant officials in person, also decreasing uh, the, the pandemical uh, risks uh, that we would have currently. Yeah, and I just wanted, by the way, I kind of misspoke a second ago. So, so this isn't to actually legalize the documents. This is to, to check the authenticity. So, this is to to verify that they've been um, properly um, they've been properly legalized. So, so I think um, hopefully, hopefully this will uh, this will work out a little bit uh, better as Auto uh, predicts. But that just about gets us to our international stories, and we have quite a few international stories to get through. So, I think probably Auto will try to get through. Uh, as many of them as possible, as quickly as possible. So, uh, do you want to start, Otto, with the ministry? Uh, sorry, the visit by the Spanish Foreign Minister to Latvia. Uh, certainly, uh, this has been a great um, occasion to remember the centennial of diplomatic relations between our two countries, Latvia and Spain. And uh, there are many issues that we are cooperating on. Uh, Spain is one of the uh, countries that provide their troops uh, in Latvia as part of the uh, enhanced forward presence of uh, NATO um, and uh, that is a, a, a great help uh, for our collective security and uh, also this uh, meeting gave uh, a good chance to uh, discuss other issues that are important not only for the in, uh, eastern flank uh, that would be our border but also the southern flank would be the a part of the world closer to Spain and um, it was also interesting to see the um, in the, uh, the press conference and also uh, the information that was released about the conversations that included the situation in Ukraine uh, the response to Russia's vaccine diplomacy and uh, also um, issues uh, such as the um, EU-wide COVID certification and uh, the matter that has been important uh, in uh, Spain and also to many in Latvia, the matter of Catalonia and the uh, stability with regard to this situation. Yeah, which um, which is interesting because actually <clears throat> the um, you know separatists uh, you know who um, in, in Catalonia, their actually official anthem is. Uh, They've actually borrowed um, Sally Paracon's Dagova from from Latvia. So, so this is a song that you you know might have heard before, which was very popular in the '80s and is still very popular today. You know, it's, it's kind of almost like the unofficial, um, you know, kind of like unofficial national anthem of uh, you know the the Third Awakening and and of um, you know it's it's played at a lot of different events. So they they actually um, you know got permission from the composer Martin Brown um, to, uh, to to use this song because he he's basically also a supporter of. Um, you know, Catalonian independence. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of a little bit of a tricky situation. I, I don't know if that was talked about at the meeting. Um, yeah, but, uh, well, 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 probably not this time, but indeed, whereas you would have uh, a difference of opinions in the society, uh, if we talk about the government, uh, the opinion is clear, and that is uh, this uh, utmost support to the territorial integrity of Spain. Uh, similarly, as Spain is um, the, doing the same for Latvia, also in the terms of providing uh, their army to help us uh, with our security concerns in uh, our neighborhood. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a tricky issue because, you know, certainly there are, you know, many people I know who, 
you know, back when the, uh, you know, Catalonia issue was, uh, was taking place, you know, felt like, uh, you know, this is a similar situation to, you know, the, the, the late 1980s and early 1990s, but, you know, obviously, um, you know, it's, it's, it's never quite so simple as that. And, and, you know, of course, uh, you know, the, the EU has uh, shown a lot of solidarity when it comes to these issues of, uh, of, uh, you know, um, uh, regions, you know, or, or people within regions who might want to, uh, you know, go a separate way. So, yes. And on the one hand, uh, you, you may have desperations for self-determination, but at the same time, uh, also if um, our listeners have listened to uh, what we have discussed uh, in uh, talking about the weeks in history, uh, the comparison between Spain and the Soviet Union is certainly not in place if we talk mm-hmm. about the democratic Spain that we have today and if we talk about the Soviet Union and what we had in the uh, Baltic uh, states. So please, let's keep that in mind. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, th- th- these comparisons are very easy to make, um, but the the devil is always in, in the details. You know, it always feels good to say like, oh, this is just as bad as this or this is just as bad as that. But then, you know, you really have to think about, you know, really is it, you know, and, and, uh-huh. you know like, like actually yeah. objectively do that. And, That's uh, right. Uh, but uh, if we go to something uh, less tricky, at least uh, by now, uh, then it is, of course, a, a positive development, as uh, we uh, reported uh, about uh, the um, oil spill that uh, crossed into uh, Latvian uh, territorial waters from Lithuania. And uh, this issue has been resolved as uh, Latvia uh, has been uh, compensated uh, for the spill and the uh, Polish-owned uh, company, uh, which uh, w- uh, was responsible for processing uh, the crude oil in a question, has covered the uh, losses um, according to our uh, state environmental service. Oh, that's that, that's excellent news. Um, so, you know, th- that that was something that we'd been uh, pretty concerned about. Uh, but looking at the other uh, border that we have, the the eastern border with uh, with Russia. So, uh, some you know, very strange and, and also some worrying. Uh, things coming out of there, but but first for for something very strange. So apparently there was this uh, comment that uh, the president Putin made about a uh, colleague in Latvia who who died of COVID, and and this kind of blew up on on social media. So what what was the story behind this auto? This was a weird one. So um, the, uh, apparently in uh, one uh, interview that uh, the Russian president gave uh, uh, recently, uh, he uh, mentioned an, a story that um, a very good friend of his had died of uh, COVID in uh, Latvia. Uh, and uh, this, of course, uh, was uh, something uh, that uh, uh, turned the um, eyebrows and uh, the reactions of uh, different uh, media outlets around uh, the world. And it is interesting to know that this is something that has, uh, we have previously seen. For example, uh, when uh, you had the situation uh, with the uh, poisoning of uh, Mr. Navalny, then uh, there was an announcement from one of the representatives of the Kremlin that uh, one of these uh, scientists who designed this uh, poison um, is associated with Latvia, and perhaps at this time it is uh, something uh, similar, uh, trying to take away the attention uh, from the bad situation in one's own country and rather turn it uh, to another one, um, knowing that it will be repeated in the news. Uh, and perhaps also a way how to try to push forward with uh, their uh, vaccine diplomacy, which is something that, that uh, Russia has been keeping on the table, even though it is not clear whether they would have the production capacity to provide enough vaccines in a short amount of time for their own citizens. 
Yeah, um, that's uh, you know the 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 Sputnik um, you know V vaccine. Uh, you know that they've been trying to push very very aggressively. We see all over the world. Uh, you know, as as part of their uh, you know diplomatic uh, diplomatic push, um, but uh, something a little bit more aggressive in terms of uh, diplomacy. Uh, we have a very um, you know distressing situation down in uh, Donbass uh, in the Donbass region of Ukraine, uh, and um, you know I, I think that uh, probably most of you have been following the story. You've been hearing about this in other outlets. Um, but I want to know from Otto, so as a security expert and as someone who I know has been following this story very, very closely and has probably, you know, um, uh, done a lot of analysis of the situation, how worried should we be here in Latvia that there could be some kind of escalation and some kind of armed conflict between uh, the, uh, the, the Russian and the Ukrainian militaries? So um, for our listeners, I have to remind that there is already a conflict, an armed conflict between uh, uh, Ukraine and the uh, Russian Federation, uh, which started already in 2014 um, as a result of uh, uh, the events in the uh, Maidan, uh, but has, uh, with a changing intensity, continued uh, to this day. Uh, what we are talking about is a possible um, increase of uh, intensity of this conflict uh, as uh, the Russian Federation uh, has um, put uh, more uh, troops uh, closer to the border with Ukraine and uh, also have uh, responded uh, to uh, the uh, claims of the president of Ukraine uh, that uh, uh, Ukraine should uh, be accepted in NATO uh, uh, with uh, the statement that uh, Russia uh, would uh, uh, look after their citizens in Donbass, in eastern Ukraine, uh, and uh, would use uh, any means to do that. So uh, we'll see whether this is just a um, stance or a position of a Russia uh, to test uh, how far um, is uh, Ukraine uh, willing uh, to go, uh, whether this will change the rhetoric from the president of Ukraine, and uh, that is certainly intended uh, to test the response from the United States and uh, the unity of the European Union on this uh, question, because the matter of a possible uh, NATO uh, assistance or uh, the possible uh, future uh, direction of uh, the Ukrainian foreign policy uh, will uh, depend on the regional security situation. And, of course, Russia is trying um, for it uh, to go uh, their way. Yeah, you know, definitely uh, something we will keep a close eye on. And I know that you and, and all of us and everyone else at Baltic Security Foundation are, you know, going to, um, you know, look at that very closely and, and, and keep us updated, uh, you know, as that situation develops. Hopefully, uh, you know, de-escalates and, and it kind of goes back to, well, hopefully something better than the status quo, because you're right. I mean, you know, um, you know, the, the, this has been an armed, uh, an armed conflict uh, that, that's gone on for quite some time. You know, the the, the term, I, th I think the term is frozen conflict. Um, you know, in terms of like, there's been kind of a ongoing stalemate, but but it is an armed conflict, and there have been people who have died, uh, you know, continuously um, as a result, you know, throughout this entire situation. So. You know, ho hopefully there will be some kind of uh, positive, peaceful resolution, but uh, it's it's not looking um, particularly particularly um, you know promising at the moment. But yeah, uh, right. I think we should end with something a little bit brighter, uh, and I think we can end with some amber 
down oh. in Tokyo. And uh, apparently there is a exhibit down in Tokyo uh, by one Latvian photographer. So, so Otto, um, you are somebody who I know has been uh, to Tokyo. And, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so can, can you tell us a little bit about this, um, this exhibition? So uh, this is a, a wonderful event uh, because um, uh, Tokyo has um, a fantastic uh, art scene and uh, it is also uh, amazing to compare uh, the um, aesthetic perception of the Japanese with that of uh, Europe and uh, you would have a number of uh, wide differences. At the same time you would have also a number of similarities and some of the similarities uh, between uh, the perceptions of of the Japanese people and uh, the Latin people is of course uh, the significance that is uh, given to the nature and of course uh, amber is uh, one of the most uh, interesting uh, aspects of our nature especially if we talk about something that is uh, more unique uh, uh, on on that end and also quite symbolic and I think this is a great way uh, how to uh, show uh, the beauty of uh, Latvian nature which has been uh, very interesting to all of my Japanese friends who have uh, who have visited uh, our country and whom I have invited to uh, visit here. Um, and I think this is also a great way how to uh, recognize uh, again the hundred years uh, since the diplomatic relations were established between Latvia and Japan. So previously, uh, in the um, previous story, we mentioned uh, the centennial of the relations between Latvia and Spain. Uh, and so similarly, uh, it is also the centennial of relations between Latvia and Japan, because Japan was one of the uh, 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 victorious countries of World War One, and as a result, were uh, one of those uh, countries uh, who had the say whether to recognize the new state, whether or not. And Japan was one of the countries that did recognize Latvia, and that was very important uh, for uh, our uh, initial uh, debut uh, on the global arena. And so I think this is great that uh, it is just another opportunity to remind uh, Japan about Latvia, especially at this time uh, when um, many of these uh, cultural connections are limited due to the inability to travel. And Otto, since we're already talking about history, how about we close things out with a little bit more of the week in history? Exactly. So uh, we have uh, two moments that I would like uh, for us to remember, and uh, both uh, have uh, diplomatic and military uh, undertones to it. Uh, If we remember April 7th, 1923, then this is the day when Latvia and Soviet Russia signed a border treaty between the two countries. And that was um, uh, this uh, end of the uh, peace process uh, that followed uh, the conclusion of the War of uh, Independence uh, and uh, the recognition of uh, Soviet Russia uh, of uh, Latvian independence and uh, territorial integrity. And so uh, this was uh, finalized with uh, demarcating the border as it happened in 1923. But if we look uh, in a a time span which is uh, much, much further away, then uh, let's talk about uh, April 18th of 1210, uh, which is the uh, date when uh, crusaders uh, had the uh, very interesting idea to attack Coronians, one of the ancient tribes of Latvia, and uh, they uh, decided to attack them on sea. And as a result, uh, they were defeated in a naval battle near Gotland. And so you know Gotland is uh, the island uh, which today is a, a part of Sweden, and uh, it is uh, a quite um, uh, away from the coast of uh, Kurland. 
um, and uh, imagine how it was uh, 800 years ago when you had uh, on a day probably some something uh, the weather was something like today when you had to fight a naval battle and Coronians indeed had uh, this uh, fame of uh, ferocious warriors and uh, for crusaders it took the longest uh, to conquer this part of our country. Uh, it was tough for the Vikings and it was also tough for uh, crusaders. So uh, that's an interesting fact for you. Definitely, yeah, well that's um, something I need to brush up on, you know, definitely that that part of Latvian history because I you know, know, know modern Latvian history uh, pretty well at this point but uh, you know when it when it comes to the uh, you know, that 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 era and, and the you know Coronians the Crusaders that's uh, it's a very very fascinating. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't recommend uh, the, the the movie The King's Ring necessarily. That's that's not a uh, <laughs> historical documentary exactly, but uh, you know um, there, there, there there's a lot of books um, that that you can read and and as well. Um, Otto, I think that's just about it for this week. I think it is. I think it has been a great conversation. <laughs> Yeah, so, so we made it through. That was uh, two weeks' worth of, uh, of, of stories, and uh, hopefully it will not be two weeks until we see you again, now that we are all um, healthy. And, uh, you know, we want to wish you the best of health, and, uh, you know, we um, hope that uh, you have some nice weather wherever you are in the world, kind of getting into, getting into spring. You know, I know a lot of you might be listening right now in your garden as you're uh, you know, digging up some some weeds and planting some flowers, maybe. So, so we we wish you the best of luck with that. Uh, any any last words before we uh, before we go out? So, take care. Uh, let's hope for the vaccine and the uh, positive development of the situation. And meanwhile, stay healthy. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yes, and uh, make sure if you've not done so already to subscribe to our Facebook page. So, thank you, Kian, who is. Uh, then uh, up- updating that, uh, you know, our, our, the stories of the day that we see every single day. And uh, make sure to tell your friends if you enjoy the show and find it uh, interesting and useful, which we hope that you do. So until next week, everyone, we still love what we see. We still love.